We are so blessed this morning to receive here with us our new interim senior pastor, David and Linda McKetney. They're coming to us after serving in, uh, in different parts, parts of this country as, as pastors. And, uh, and for 25 years, David was the senior pastor for Grace Presbyterian Church in Houston, Texas, one of the largest uh, Presbyterian churches in our, in our denominations in our, in our country. David is coming to us after serving as an interim pastor in two large churches as well. The First Presbyterian Church in Houston, Texas, and the Westminster Presbyterian Church in Wichita, Kansas. Kansas for L.A. <laughs> I hope there is nobody from Kansas here. <laughs> uh, David retired in 2005, and he thought that he would develop and increase and perfect his golfing skills. And it's still really bad from what I heard from the previous church. But he keeps trying. And God called him to different ministries. David is uh, the president of the Texas Theological Foundation, which was the organization responsible to bring an extension of Fuller Theological Seminary, who has the headquarters in Pasadena, California, uh, one of the largest seminaries in the world, to bring then the extension of Fuller uh, to, to Texas for, uh, to train pastors for the 20, uh, 25th century. Linda is a musician. We're going to uh, listen to one of her uh, playing for us uh, this morning and has been a companion in the journey with David through, throughout these years. I am so excited uh, to have David and Linda as a part of our family, our community here at Bel Air, a, a ministry that has been uh, a blessing to many in our country and through his leadership in different places uh, in the world as well. For those who know David well, this is what I have heard from, from them. Uh, David's love for the Lord Jesus Christ is contagious. And to share that love is his calling in life. Linda David, uh, please welcome to Bel Air. Come here, let me pray for you. Okay. Let me pray for you. Lord, we, as a church, we have been praying for David and Linda before we knew their names. As the leadership of this church searched for our new interim pastor, you knew them and that they would be here with us. We thank you for David and Linda's embracement of this ministry of this church. Lord, as we look forward to build relationship with them and to get to love them and to be loved and cared by them and led by them, Lord, I ask that your spirit will be with us in this journey. There will be times when we will see clearly that you are guiding this whole process, Lord, that you would use him and Linda as a blessing this congregation as they build relationship with us. And as we learn from David, from the preaching of your word, that we will grow in our faith, in our love for Christ, in our commitment with this church and the mission of Bel Air on this hill and the city and throughout the world. Lord, I ask that the journey with us will be also a blessing for them, that they will make friends in this community, people that will encourage them in their journey, that will be there with them in times of the adjustment in a new uh, city, in a new, somehow a new culture, a new congregation, that will be people that will be praying for them encouraging them and loving them as well. Thank you, Lord, that we are yours. 
and the ministry of the word and sacrament that you have called David to is such a blessing and a privilege and that he will continue to be a light of Christ in our midst as he teaches us, as he serves us, and as he leads us. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, David. Thank you.
Well, you just heard from the best part of the deal. <laughs> Linda and I are delighted to be with you folks, and uh, we look forward to sharing hospitality with you folks and sharing in the ministry of this great congregation. Mike and his committee took a terrific risk when they bet on me. But I believe God in His grace has opened this door uniquely, and we look forward to being part of God's work right here at Bel Air. So thank you. Thank you for your trust, and we covet your prayers, and I don't say that lightly. Well, this happens to be Epiphany Sunday, and Epiphany Sunday demands one text out of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. We're going to put it up there on the screen And I'd love to have you do me a favor. Just read it with me. Will you do that? Will you do that? These are not tough questions. (laughs) So let us read the Word of God together, please. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another war. Friends, God always blesses the reading and the hearing of the Word. Last year, Taylor Swift made $57 million. Justin Bieber made $55 million. Josh Hamilton is going to make $25 million this year playing for a little baseball team out here. And add to that, Eddie, the dog from Frasier. Do you know Eddie, the dog from Frasier? Last year in reruns, he made $190,000. Do you know that, what that does to a guy like me? I'm going, how are you doing, Dave? Not very good compared to these folks. Where is your star status, Dave? Where are you when it comes to popularity? You know, 
I'm just delighted when I can get a good table at a decent restaurant. I'm always excited when I can get a tea time that I want. I'm always happy when the valet says, I'll tell you what, I'll put your car up front. I won't put you back there with the Toyotas. And I'm always wondering, where do I fit in the credits? Where do I fit in the organization chart? What is my status? Is there a star over me by any chance? Linda and I have been in Texas for 38 years. We have been missionaries to the Texans. Have we succeeded? Well, that's pretty iffy. But you know what? I learned something from the Texans. Modesty is an overrated value. <laughs> Modesty is an overrated value. It's not only the Texans who believe that. Herod the Great believed that. Modesty is an overrated value. We live in a very violent time. Jesus was born in a very violent time. Herod the Great called all the picks and took all the shots. Herod the Great ruled Judea for four years. Herod the Great was headed for a head-on collision with Christianity. Now, racially, Herod the Great was an Arab. Religiously, he was a Jew. Culturally, he was a Greek. And politically, he was a Roman. But the man brought terrific order to the empire back there in the first century. Now, Herod the Great wasn't always just a nice guy. But he was an incredible visionary. He was a builder. You don't believe that? Well, I can take you today to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and you can see the base of the Temple Mount that Herod, his artisans and his architects built. Huge, huge stones, beautifully cut. And there wasn't a Home Depot anywhere around. Herod not only built the base for the temple, but you go 11 miles outside Jerusalem to a place called Herodium. And Herodium is a mountain that Herod, as artisans and as architects, carved out a whole city in the middle of the mountain. Adjacent to it is an incredible swimming pool. And I mean incredible. It's incredible by today's standards. You go to Caesarea Maritima, where again Herod built a port out into the ocean. 125 feet down, he had columns built. How do you do that in the first century? In addition to that, he has a swimming pool that he carved out of the rocks. And the ocean washes in and cleans out the swimming pool all the time. You can still see it. Now, Was Herod a paranoid schizophrenic? I don't know, but he was a very violent man. The star status of his brother-in-law began to bother him. So he had a little party at the palace one night and invited everybody to come, and they were going to have a little swim fest. And the brother-in-law just happened to drown in the party pool. Herod the Great killed his wife, his mother, his oldest son, Alexandra, And he killed two other sons. Not exactly a nice guy. He wanted desperately to retain his star status. Jesus was born into a very violent time. Well, today, 
Today is January 6th. What year? 2013. Here we are. And tomorrow, you know what happens? Notre Dame plays Alabama. One of the high holy days of the year. In addition to that, schools all get started up again. 405 is going to be very crowded. We return to the routine, get back to business, and the IRS has already mailed the forms to you for this year. And this is Epiphany Sunday. Epiphany Sunday is really a bridge. It's a bridge between Christmas and Easter. And Epiphany means a sudden manifestation of divine light in human darkness. A sudden manifestation of divine light in human darkness. How do we know about all of this? Because of the Magi. We call them the three kings. Who were they? Persian kings? We're not exactly sure. And did they have an entourage? Why, of course they must have had an entourage. And can you imagine these guys? They were misfits at the manger. The shepherds are there. The shepherds smelled bad. And here are these dignitaries mixing with the shepherds. They were misfits at the manger. And here's what happens. They show up in the Jerusalem area and they ask, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. They, like us, were in awe of the heavens. They looked to the heavens for signs, for stigmas, and for status. They didn't understand that light travels at 186,000 miles per second. They didn't understand that it takes eight minutes for the light to get from the sun to the earth. They didn't understand that the naked eye could only spot about 1,500 stars. They had no knowledge that there were billions of stars. Herod and his urbane Jerusalemites missed the fact that there was a unique star in the sky. Maybe Herod and his crowd were just too caught up with their own brightness and brilliance and status. But they were the ones who said to the Magi, what star are you talking about? What do you mean a child is born that's going to be king of the Jews? Herod's in charge. How could there be a new king of the Jews? You know, friends, for 2,000 years, astronomers, philosophers, theologians, poets, skeptics have all speculated as to what it was that exploded in this night sky over Bethlehem. And what's amazing is historical records and early calendars give credence to some type of bright star in the sky about the time of Jesus' birth. And all I know is astronomy can only take us so far. At some point, you have to make a decision. Is this story believable? Could there have been this kind of star? What was it that made the Magi's move, Magi move? Could this star be for real? The question is really, what was its impact? What was its impact? And the impact of the star in Bethlehem, the impact of the visit of these Persian kings, the impact of all of that was the universality of the messiahship of Jesus. Jesus wasn't just the messiah to a few Jews in the Middle East. 
The epiphany, the sudden manifestation of divine light in human darkness, implies that there was light for the whole world, and Christ came as the Messiah, the Savior for all of us. Well, what do you think made the Magi move? Was it a comet? Was it an exploding meteorite? A stellanova, a supernova? Was it a conjunction of three luminous planets? Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars? What was it that made the Magi move? We think God in His grace made that happen. So that there might be universal appeal to the Savior. Linda and I uh, were running late for luncheon one Sunday in Houston. There's a wonderful street that cuts through the west end of Houston called Briar Forest. It's a straight shot into the loop. And I was in a hurry. And so we got on Briar Forest and I was humming it. And Linda says, you better watch it. They're patrolling this street. And I said, Linda, never on Sunday, never on Sunday. Within seconds, the bright lights were right there behind me. So I stopped, pulled over, got my license out, handed it to the representative of the Houston Police Department, and he looked at it, and he said, May I see your insurance papers? Now, Linda, to her credit, never said a word, just opened the glove box, pulled out that little plastic transparent piece that held the insurance papers. Now, you have to understand, this car was leased for me by Grace Presbyterian Church. So my name was not on the insurance papers. It simply said Grace Presbyterian Church. So I handed the transparent piece to the officer, and he looked at it, and he goes, Grace Presbyterian Church, what do you do for a living? I said, well, officer, I'm embarrassed to have to tell you this, but I said, I'm the pastor of Grace Presbyterian Church. You can see the steeple from here. And he said, Oh, Reverend, there must be a parable here somewhere. And then he said, we can't have the shepherd out running the flock. My star status was suddenly restored and he let me go, bless his heart. King Herod knew something about power. He knew something about paranoia. He knew something about planning. What he needed to know was the Messiah. The supreme power lies not in the atom, but in God's love for us in Jesus Christ. And you remember what happened next. The wise men show up in Herod's court. And so Herod hears their story and then he says to them, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found it, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. You know that when he said that, the entire court smirked, winked, and rolled their eyes. Because that word made Herod's blood begin to boil, and his paranoia began to perk. What happened next is dreadful, but he laid out an edict, the slaughter of the innocents. He wanted all male babies under two years of age to be slaughtered, and they were, all within that territory. He wasn't about to have his star status 
diminished in any way. And then Joseph gets a dream. And the dream says, Joseph, take Mary and Jesus and head for Egypt and stay there till you get word that Herod has died. Yes, they had received gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold for a king. Frankincense for a priest. Myrrh for a wounded healer. Were those gifts there to underwrite the flight into Egypt? I don't know. But I know they were symbolic. And another dream came to the wise men, the magi, and you remember the dream they had. And the dream, well, it's really verse 12. Here's what it says. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. When you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, your routine is radically altered. When you have an encounter with Jesus Christ in the 21st century, your routine is radically altered. Your life is wonderfully interrupted. In addition to that, your belief system gets challenged all over the place. And you come away asking the question not, What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? You come away asking the question, what am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be? Daring, heroic, compassionate, revolutionary. Eleanor Roosevelt gets credit for this, but she had the line, do something every day that scares you. Isn't that a great line? Do something every day that scares you. Like telling somebody about your faith in Christ. Like praying out loud with someone who is in need. Like asking God to give new direction to your life. Like asking God what He would have you give in terms of your time, talent, and resources. Do something every day that scares you. Cognitive therapists are fascinating people. One of them told me that, Dave, you've probably got 300 ideas in your head that are wrong. Well, thanks a lot. But you know, we do mislabel things, positively and negatively. We do misread our status. And the great news is that in Jesus Christ, your status gets clarified. In Jesus Christ, God thwarts your imposter. I don't know who your imposter is. You do. But in Jesus Christ, God thwarts your imposter. And that's why this table is so important to us. In a few moments, you are going to get invited to participate in this sacrament of Holy Communion. Yes, the bread represents the body of Christ broken for you. The cup represents the blood of Christ shed for you. But it also means there is more mercy in God than sin in us. It also means your past is not your prison. It also means that God did not set you adrift on a sea of heredity. It also means that God wants a relationship with you, not a performance, a relationship. Linda and I were leading a retreat 
at a place called Laity Lodge in the Texas Hill Country. Laity, L-A-I-T-Y. Beautiful place right out there on the Frio River, that cold, clear river. And we were having a great time, and suddenly there was an absolutely terrific storm swept through the place. Now, you have to understand, to get to Laity Lodge, you have to drive up the Frio River. I'm not kidding. You drive your car down into the Frio River. Now, the water's only about eight inches or so deep, but you do have to drive up the river about a half mile, and then you come out of the river and drive up the hill to the lodge. Beautiful setting. But once this storm hit, the river flooded, and you couldn't get in, you couldn't get out. We were stranded there for three days without any power, no power. And so there wasn't much to do at night, so we'd go up to the deck and hang out overlooking the river, and we'd have a few candles and some flashlights. But after the storm, the sky was clear, and the stars were just vivid. And we'd sit there and talk and look up at the stars. Now, we had a physician with us who knew all 88 constellations. Disgusting. And this physician would say, well, now you see over there is the spear and over here is the shield and the dogs are over here. And he knew, he knew Pegasus. He knew Orion. He knew Andromeda. He knew all these things. And I'm sitting there thinking, where is the big dipper? I can't even find that. (laughs) So I finally said to him, doc, doc, give me a break. How in the world do you spot all this stuff? He said, Dave, it's very easy. Can you find the North Star? Yeah, I can do that. Well, if you find the North Star, that's your load star. And he said, if you have a load star in the North Star, then if you move over here to the right, you begin to see this. And move over here to the left and you get that. You have to have a load star. But it triggered a memory for me. Alan Payton wrote in Cry the Beloved Country, I need a star that will not play false with me, a compass that will not lie. I need a star that will not play false with me, a compass that will not lie. And I can tell you that in Jesus Christ, I have a lodestar. In Jesus Christ, you have a lodestar. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, you have brought light into our darkness in the person of your Son and our Savior. We don't understand all of that, Lord. It's a mystery to us. We simply celebrate it and we thank you that our past is not our prison. Free us, O God, to be your people, to be Easter people, even today. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.